Well, fall camp rolls along and the season edges ever closer, like next Saturday kind of closer. We might have a reason to feel good about the defense right now based on something Dan Lanning said recently. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions do apply. So talk about the defense, the defensive line. We're finally at that time where we can do position group previews and predictions for myself. If you want any question answered with regards to my thoughts on a particular player or position group, drop them in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. So the defense for Oregon has to be better if we're going to win the Pac-12 in 2023, which Oregon is capable of doing, by the way. Is it going to happen? A lot of things have to go right, but a lot of things are going to have to go right for anybody in the conference to win the Pac-12. So hopefully that's what we end up seeing. Now, I'm not making my prediction for the Ducks season yet. That's going to come next week, and you're just going to have to wait and see. But we'll get back to talking about individual games and matchups and such tomorrow. But I wanted to keep rolling along, or get rolling along, I should say, on the position stuff. But I saw this quote from Dan Lanning the other day. And Dan Lanning was talking after an Oregon scrimmage and said that the defense had gotten the better of the offense. But that, you know, throughout fall camp, there had been some back and forth. Some days where the offense had a better day. Some days where the defense had the better day. But the first thing that he said after the most recent scrimmage that Oregon had was, yeah, the defense was better today. The defense got the better of the offense. Weren't able to execute on some big plays. Didn't have the sort of success they were always looking for. And that makes me feel optimistic about the defense. Because when I look at this offensive unit, yes, there's a big question on the offensive line. Not in talent, but in chemistry, both with the quarterback and the O-line and the offensive coordinator as well. But mostly, does anyone feel bad? Have I asked questions about Oregon's offense this year beyond that? No. And I think those questions are going to be high-class, first-world sort of problems in the college football world. I think it's going to be, wow, we had a top-20 offensive line instead of a top-10. Because last year it was top five in the country in total sacks allowed. And Oregon ran the ball exceptionally well. So that's the sort of drop-off, so to speak, that I am fully prepared for as an Oregon fan, while also recognizing their potential as a unit is to go much higher than that. But other than that, there aren't that many questions that I have there other than Will Stein. But all signs seem to indicate, based on his track record, that the guy knows how to call offense. So then what it comes down to is, well, do you have the playmakers? Yeah, we've got the playmakers. We've got the playmaker at the most important spot. Uh, that'd be quarterback with Bo Nix, who's got a poster up in New York City. 
Bo for Heisman. Hey, why not? It could happen. We'd have to make the playoff, but that's not impossible. I don't think it's likely, but it's not impossible. So if you look at what the offense has, though, bringing it back to, to Eugene and away from New York City for just a moment, Oregon has got an elite cadre of running backs, great depth at receiver. I love our number one tight end, and I think we're solid, not elite, but solid, backing up Terrence Ferguson. I think we'll, we will be good on the offensive line. All the pieces are there. And I bring this up in context of the defense kind of winning the day to say, hey, that's a really talented offense. That's an offensive line that does have guys who have made starts and played at a high level for the Ducks over the last couple of years. That's a receiving core that's got a first or second round pick in Troy Franklin. That's got some wildly talented power five transfers like Treshawn Holden, like uh, Tez Johnson, who comes over from Troy, not power five, but say Gary Bryant coming over from USC, who does. You've got Jerion Dickey in the fold. You've got Kyler Casper in the fold. When you look at all the players that are there, You've got Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington. You've got Terrence Ferguson, Troy Franklin. This was a wildly productive offense from last year, and you have a lot of that core in place. So when I hear Dan Landing, the first thing out of his mouth say, yeah, the defense got the better of the offense today, that makes me feel better about what Oregon's defense might be this season. Because even in a practice setting, you have to have some talent to be able to slow down even for a day that offense. I mean, the only thing that slowed down Oregon's offense a year ago was Utah, and that was combined with a hobbled Bo Nix. That was the only bad day for the offense in which they scored fewer than 30 points out, you know, after the Georgia game, of course. So those are the only two instances in which Oregon's offense struggled. Bo was hurt, and you were playing the best defensive team year in and year out in the pack consistently in Utah, who have had their same head coach in Kyle Whittingham, and you are playing the eventual national champions who won that game by a score of 65-7 to over the, over the best team from the Big 12. Not the champions, by the way, but the best team. Those are the only instances. So when I hear that Oregon's defense was able to, in a scrimmage environment, get the better of them, hmm, that makes me feel pretty good. Now, it will come down to one position group in particular. The DBs are important. I'm not trying to undersell any. I mean, everything. Everything matters. And I'm going to talk about every position group leading up to the season here on the show. That's why, as I said, drop your comments below if you're watching on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. But we're starting with the defensive line uh, today because of this particular question, which I'm actually going to get to after. We're going to do the position group first. So this is my prediction based on fall camp intel we've gotten who's been added to a position group, what we saw last year, my general thoughts, what we saw in the spring game, all the above factoring into how I think the two deep plays out for a given group. And again, if you have thoughts that disagree with my own, that's okay. I welcome it. Let's talk about it because I'm fascinated by all this stuff, obviously, given my profession. So four positions along the defensive line in Oregon's 4-2-5 scheme that Dan Lanning brought with him from uh, Georgia, one that we've seen at Oregon for, frankly, quite a while now. You've got your defensive end slot, you've got your edge position, your defensive tackle, and your nose tackle, right? Your defensive tackle and your nose tackle, the two interior guys. Your defensive end is typically a little bit bigger, but is still a guy who has some agility, and your edge player is a hybrid linebacker. So, like he, like he could, in theory, 
not necessarily drop into coverage more, but he just has a more athletic frame. He's not quite as big and, and bulky. So let's start with the defensive end position. I think that's where Jordan Birch is going to end up starting. And I think the number one guy behind him will be Brandon Dorless. Now, Dorless is going to be a starter on the defensive line. He's the guy who I'm most sure about. And I think that Brandon Dorless, I could be wrong here, is going to start at defensive tackle, not defensive end. He might rotate out and play defensive end as he did a season ago, but I think a lot of his best work and his ability to use his hands, his feet, his agility, in addition to the power that he's got, I mean, he's developed into a really, really good, he's going to be an NFL player. He has the ability to play inside and out. I personally think he's most effective on the inside because he can use his quickness to navigate his way around guards and centers who are typically not as athletic as tackles. But will he play some defensive end this year? Yeah, sure. I mean, guys, you rotate in and out, you have sub packages, guys need a break, guys need all that sort of stuff all the time. But I think those two are pretty easy starters to lock in. Jordan Birch, the transfer from South Carolina, one-time five-star recruit, and Brandon Dorless, the guy who came back for, for one final season with the Ducks. I think those two are pretty easy selections to be at the top of the depth chart at those particular positions. Using LinkedIn Jobs is a really easy selection for you because these days every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business and you want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free, which is neat. So go in there, create a free job post in minutes, add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one, that's numero uno, in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Terms and conditions of listening to or watching this show. I have to take my second segment sips or things can just go off the rails. It's just an utter disaster here. So let's continue to roll through the defensive line. My predictions here. Again, this is my guess. This is how I see it going down. So I've got Jordan Birch, a defensive end. I've got Brandon Doros, a defensive tackle. At nose tackle, I'm going with Casey Rogers as the first stringer. And I think Popo Amavai is the second stringer. And I think at the defensive tackle position, you could have either Taki Taimani, who is what I think, or is who I think, rather, will be the number two defensive tackle to Brandon Dorless. Again, depending on what sort of package you're going for. If you want to be a little bit more nimble, you might slide Jordan Birch over to the defensive tackle slot or slide Dorless or Birch over to the nose tackle slot. Put the other a defensive tackle and have two edge players that have got more agility on the outside. Depends on what situation you're going for. If you're looking for a run stuffing look, yeah, you might put Jordan Birch on one side, Dorless at the other edge spot. And then in the middle, just load it up with Popo and Casey Rogers, Ataki Taimani, Keon Ware Hudson. But I think you're starting those tackles, Casey Rogers, who has bulked up even more this offseason. And, you know, he, he wasn't a huge player in the pass rush a season ago, but he was disruptive in a big way at times in the run game. And I, I think he's 
you know, nothing special per se. Like he'll disappear for stretches of the game, but when he's making an impact, like the Utah game or the Holiday Bowl, he's making a big time impact. So I think he's your number one, and I think Popo plays quite a bit this year. I mean, we remember, we may not remember, some of you might not, but you should remember that he was a really talented guy when he got hurt going into last year. I, I think that hurt Oregon's defensive line overall. He's a defensive tackle, I think, has a little bit more pass rush capability, and the PFF grades reflect that. But coming off an injury, I, I just would lean towards Rodgers probably being the starter there. Wouldn't shock if they were, uh, wouldn't shock me if they were flipped, but. I think that those are your, your your starters kind of on the interior. And then at the edge spot, I think you could have a number of different players here. You know, guys like Tatum Tuioti have gotten some buzz in, uh, in, in fall camp to this point. But I think your starting edge player is Mace Funa, who's going into his fifth year and final season of college football, who was the Holiday Bowl MVP, who has always been, I, I think, again, just a really solid fairly productive player but didn't really have that explosive impact game until uh, I mean the Washington State game he of course had the game clinching pick six and then he had the, uh, the the great performance all around in in the Holiday Bowl but he's a guy who every now and then will kind of slide back to the second level play as a backer there because he's a little bit more on the nimble side that's why he's at the, I've got him here at the edge spot rather than being uh, a true defensive end but Every now and then, he could line up at the second level. He did so a season ago. He can blitz from there. He can cover a little bit. Um, I don't think he's someone you want running with a tight end or receiver down the field, but a running back or a tight end in the flat, yeah, I think he's more than capable of doing that. But I think the veteran experience will will get him the start. But I think right behind him, it'll be Mateo Uyunglele, who I, I thought looked every bit the billing of the highly touted recruit that he was uh, when he when he committed to Oregon. I thought he looked that way in the spring game, and I am wildly optimistic about his upside, and I'm I'm so stoked to watch him to watch him play this year because you got to have that sort of pass rushers. I'll touch on more in just a moment, and I think Mateo has has got the tools to be that sort of guy, big body, ready to play. Just he looked out there like he belonged. That's that's way. And you know who I said that about in the 2020 what uh, two spring game was Jaleel Florence. I said, you know, it was a little rough around the edges, but boy, physically, he looked like he belonged. And guess what? He played a lot in 2022. Maybe I've got an eye for that sort of thing. Maybe I just got lucky. And we're going to find out. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's, you know, that insightful to say, hey, the five-star recruit is going to play this year. Hot take, I know. A couple other names to keep an eye on here. I mentioned him earlier. Keon Ware Hudson uh, will be someone that might rotate in along the defensive line uh, on the interior. Jake Shipley could be a guy at the defensive end slot who you know played a little, played a lot in the Holiday Bowl actually uh, a season ago. I think Birch coming in kind of moves him down the depth chart. Maybe he's the number two defensive end behind Dorless, and they want to keep him on the interior. A lot of different ways that I, I think that could go. But I'd watch for those two names. Uh, Blake Purchase is a freshman that my guy Max Torres really, really likes at the edge spot. And look, Purchase is coming in as a four-star freshman. It's not like he uh, doesn't have some some expectation level or talent level. And he's he's a big body uh, as well. He's six foot five. Uh, last time I checked the roster on there, assuming I remember that correctly, I'm going to just uh, double check that really, really quick because, you, you know, you just don't want to get things wrong when you can so easily get them right. 
but he's 6'3", 255, is Blake Purchase from uh, Cherry Creek High School. So I think that could be a name to watch. Ben Roberts, I've heard his name get tossed around at fall camp and interviews, you know, after practice and such pretty often. So maybe he's a guy who every now and then you look up and go, oh, who's that? Oh, it's Ben Roberts. Oh, okay, yeah, he's making a play on the defensive line. So that's where I land. Again, defensive end, Birch with Dorless backing him up. Nose tackle, Casey Rogers, Popo Amavai. Defensive tackle, Dorless and Taki Taimani. Edge, Mace Funa, Mateo Uyunglele. I think that's your base too deep. And others who could play, Jake Shipley, Keonware Hudson, Ben Roberts, and maybe another freshman like Blake Purchase. I think for the big interior defensive linemen, there would have to be a lot of injuries. I, I, I really think that... You know, for guys like Johnny Bowens, Terrence Green, Amari Washington, Ashton Porter, it's just going to be tougher for them to see the field. But in 2024, we're going to need them big time. That's a great segue into this question, uh, which has a great name from the guy who asked it because of what the next mailbag question is to the fun question to end today's show. So again, YouTube comments or Twitter, hit me up anytime, ask a question, get an answer here on the show. You can ask about a position group uh, examination that I have done, or you can ask about one that I will do because I will hit all of them. Quarterback, offensive line, tight end, receiver, defensive line, linebacker, safeties, corners, and and special teams uh, as well. So we've got nine to go through here leading up to the season, so ask away. This from L. Skywalker, 452260. Skywalker, nice. What is the best way to ask a question for the podcast? If this is it, my question is this. This was the ever rare Instagram direct message. I think. Might have been a Twitter DM. But anyway, Twitter DMs are the best way to reach me, frankly. What is the most important position group for winning a title? Georgia won a title where their strength was D-line and safety. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're pretty right. I'd say D-line and corner, maybe. But their quarterback and wide receiver room was three-star at best. I don't think Stetson Bennett had any stars. Overall question is, what position group does the offense need to be elite at to win a title? Or does Oregon need, excuse me, to be elite at to win a title? We almost won one with Darren Thomas. Yes, you're more likely to win when you have an insane quarterback, but what positions can we recruit that'll win us a title? Let's rank the positions. Big fan, by the way, from New York City. I listen every day. The podcast is strong. First of all, national reach. Love that. Second of all, snap a picture of yourself with the Bo Nicks poster, if you can, tweet it at me, and I'll give you a shout-out for sure. Um, love that you listen from over there. Thirdly, to answer your fundamental question here, it's the boys that I was just talking about. And I like this group going into 2023. There is potential for them to be improved, but in no way do I look at them as the sort of dominant unit at this point in time. Maybe they become that, which would be great, but I don't see them as the sort of foundational defensive line to win a national championship. To win a Pac-12 championship, sure. But that's a different conversation. If we're talking about competing with the Alabama offensive lines of the world, with the LSUs, with the Georgias, with the you know Clemsons, with the uh, you know whoever else is is great, with USC. Now USC, I think we're we're, we're a lot closer to at this point in time, but. If you're going to build that defensive line, it's got to be full of big time dudes. You got to have multiple NFL players. You got to have high level college players on there. And I think to build a great defense, which we're all looking for here from Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy, it's got to start up front. 
You, you, you just can't have a great defense without a great defensive line. And the reason that I highlight this position group as the most important to win a national championship for us is because of who our head coach is, right? He, he won a national championship as a defensive coordinator. That's the formula I think he's going to try and emulate. That's who he's been going after on the recruiting trail in each of the last couple of classes. That's who he continues to pursue on the recruiting trail. He's looking at guys like Aiden, Aiden Breland. He wanted Williams Winnery. He was after uh, Elijah Rushing, who went down to, to Arizona, of course, and chose him over the Ducks in Tennessee. He's looking to get those sorts of guys because he knows what sort of team he wants to build. And it's one that is dominant in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So I'd say defensive line is most important. I'd say offensive line is probably second, corners third. And then depending on what sort of team you want to build, you could rank each position group in in a number of different ways. But I think that's a great question. And if 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 our head coach were Lincoln Riley, for instance, I would not have this answer be the defensive line. If I were answering this question as the host of Locked on Huskies, obviously I'm not, the answer would not be the defensive line. Because it depends on what the identity of your coach is and how he wants to win football games. You know how Jim Harbaugh and Mario Cristobal want to win football games? They want to pound the rock and just be more physical than you. You know what the most important position group is for them? The offensive line. You know what Mario's priority was for four years? The offensive line. And when we won the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 title in 2019, that was a pretty awesome year. You know what was really good? The offensive line. So... It depends on who your coach is and what sort of identity he wants his team to take. But if we're going to be the sort of defense that we would like Dan Lanning to build to win a national championship, it has to start up front. Great question, though. All right, let's do a fun question to end today's show. I love the fun questions because everything is always super serious, right? I mean, we're talking about college sports, 18 to 23-year-old kids playing a game that we all you know watch or pay to go see. But anyway... Super serious stuff. I like taking the, lot, the edge off a little bit. Plus, this is interesting. This is, this, is, this is a good question here. This is from Jason. Okay, Spencer, I always listen to Locked On Ducks before bed here in Taiwan. Look at my man. Locked On Ducks International. How about it? Huh? Not bad. My guys in every day are in Taiwan. Mm, that's awesome. Here's a Star Wars question for you. I just finished The Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Amped for Ahsoka. Okay, I'm so amped for Ahsoka. Big time. Mandalorian, awesome. Boba Fett, mid-tier. Not horrible, but pretty mid. What Jedi Master, not counting episodes 7 to 9. <laughs> I'm so here for the shade at the sequels. They stink. Is each duck head coach from Bilotti to Lanning? Well... I was thinking about which one I would choose as Anakin Skywalker, but he's not a Jedi Master. Oh, no. Oh, I'm so mean. And also, all my Star Wars fans out there are going to laugh at that joke. If you're not a Star Wars fan, you're wildly confused. But let me assure you, that was funny. At least to me. So, let's start with Mike Bellotti, who is wise, likable, and a good friend and a good mentor. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Absolutely. That takes us to Chip Kelly, who was indeed the disciple of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But when I thought about Chip and his cerebral approach and the way he just 
went about his business, didn't worry about outside noise and just was doing it his way. He was a wizard of philosophy and wisdom. Or should I say a Jedi master of that? Who do you think of? It's Yoda, of course. So Chip Kelly's Yoda. Mark Helfrich is Kit Fisto. He was great for a while, like the entire Clone Wars series, or like the entire Mariota and Verdon Adams era. And then there was a big letdown later, where he guided Oregon to a 4-8 and eight season, and Kit Fisto died pathetically in the fight against Palpatine. Now, that's the fault of the writers for scripting a horrible acting scene in Revenge of the Sith, but that's the way it played out, so that's the most uh, appropriate one. Here's one. Willie Taggart. Remember him? Yeah, I know. Weird. Plo Koon is who I'm going with for Willie Taggart's Jedi Master comp. Why? Because you just don't see that much of him. And we didn't see that much of Willie Taggart. Yeah, pretty fitting. Okay, next. Mario Cristobal is Mace Windu, portrayed by Samuel L. Jackson, for those of you who are not Star Wars fans and are still with me here. And if you did that, kudos to you. Mace Windu in the prequels, which I love, had great power. He was known as a very powerful Jedi. But he did demonstrate a great flaw. And Mario Cristobal was a great recruiter. But we saw some great flaws. Game planning, adjustments, coaching. There was a great flaw. Mace Windu's great flaw was that in Revenge of the Sith, he repeated word for word what Palpatine had said to Anakin earlier when he was pondering whether or not to kill Count Dooku, which is he's too dangerous to be left alive. He revealed a great flaw. So again, great power, very powerful. Mario, very, very good recruiter. But there's this big flaw over here. It's hard to ignore. All right, so Mario Cristobal makes Windu, which brings us to Dan Lanning. What else could Dan Lanning be? for a Jedi comparison, but Luke Skywalker. Because the first Star Wars movie ever released with the binary sunset and hologram scene from episode four with Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. That's who he is. He's Luke Skywalker because he is a new hope. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.